one giant podcast. Along with Andy Makowitz, I'm Adam Armbrecht, and we are back again with your Week 7 wrap-up, talking all things, of course, New York football giants and, and how we felt coming out of what was certainly a disappointing result at home against the Arizona Cardinals. Before we dive into this, Andy, give me your... Uh, <laughs> Give me your mental, emotional state following this game. Where, where are you at right now? I am at a loss, Adam. Mm. I don't. I, I did some soul searching after the game. Uh, I'll let you know when I find it. <laughs> Sorry, folks. I was taking a sip of water there. I almost just spit it out all over my computer. Yeah, that sounds that sounds about right, man. I think you know we were we were talking throughout this game, and it, it definitely was a difficult one to watch. So looking back here at this matchup, ultimately the Giants fall 27-21 at home. That score may seem like it was a little bit closer than the game action would actually tell you. At halftime, Giants get down early. They make a game of it going to half. But but really in the second half, I think every Giants fan, if you're watching this one, did not have any real excitement or energy thinking that we were going to pull this one out. Is that basically your sentiment on this one? I know we're both kind of lost on how we felt about it. I'm beyond frustrated. You, you yeah. look at the score 27-21, and it didn't even really feel that close. You know, the Giants had the ball, uh, you know, down, down a, a score with two minutes to go, and it still felt like we were never really in the game after the, the first quarter that the, the Giants kind of fell 14-0. Adam, the, the most befuddling thing to me is going into the game, if you told me that Kyler Murray was going to throw for 100 yards, David Johnson was going to have two rushing yards, and Larry Fitzgerald would have one catch for 12 yards, what are the chances that you give the Giants to win this game? You'd be saying oh, probably 100%. With those three stats combined, you would just assume that it meant the defense was playing well in this one and we were able to you know, be steady on offense and pull out what you would think would be a relatively easy victory. But as we figured out, there was a different superstar in this game. <laughs> that, we, we thought it was going to be the return of Saquon Barkley, but it ended up being uh, you know, the backup running back on Arizona that really kind of sparked them and led to their victory. You know it, and, and Chase Edmonds, listen, David Johnson, he looks a little dinged up early, ends up leaving this game, does not return. Edmonds takes over, and that's really where we can dive into just some of the the play wrap-ups from, from this contest where that first touchdown, you know, it's not just that you give up a long drive, which it was, and a touchdown, but on that particular rush, the, the guards pull outside, they seal off the edge. On the interior side of the ball, the defensive line for the Giants is completely blocked up. Edmonds gets an enormous clear lane into the secondary. And the only player that maybe had an opportunity was Peppers, who had to come around from the weak side and just never had an opportunity to get through traffic and and be able to take down Edmonds. And it it was a very clean, very easy touchdown. And I think that was a first sign indicator that that we were going to have some struggles today. 13 plays, 75 yards methodically marched down the field, capped off by that run by Chase Edmonds for 20 yards. Mm-hmm. I had to take a breath and said, say, okay, let's settle down a little bit. They just kind of stuffed it down our throat and went up seven, and it didn't seem to, to take too much effort, right? Uh, and and when, you, when you look at the Giants getting the ball, you know, we have the, we have the ball for about five or six plays before Daniel Jones' interception and before – the blink of an eye, the Giants are down 14 nothing with 
uh, I feel like Groundhog Day. Chase Edmonds going for another 20-yard run. It was death by a thousand cuts on that opening drive because nothing was – it wasn't the big plays over the top or anything. It was just very steady, chunk here, chunk there. You're down. We are ineffective on our first offensive drive. And then the turnover, of course, and the second touchdown. Once again, as you said, a very Bill Murray in my mind kind of feeling and not in that positive way when I think about one of my favorite actors. Second touchdown, outside rushers get up the field and basically take themselves out of the play. Obviously, it's not the the plan on it, but they basically fall away. So you're losing two potential stops against the rush. And then the inside linebackers are sealed off with relative ease. Peppers actually misses a tackle in the hole on this one, and it's another wide open Easy, clean lane for Edmonds to take it to the house, and now we, we find ourselves down 14 nothing before we can even say boo. We had three yards in the first quarter. I, I, I was messaging with you during uh, the start of the game, and I, I think you could safely say that you would give an F to the entire team, the entire play calling, the entire defense in that first quarter. It was maddening to watch. It was exceedingly frustrating, uh, and I, I kind of messaged you and said, if this is where we're going, you know, I'm, I'm done with this game, and I'm done with this team for, for the time being. And, you know, just, just like the Giants have, a, have a, uh, a way of doing things, you know, we get a big touchdown, a block punt for a touchdown, and all of a sudden you have all these good feelings, uh, you know, in the second quarter thinking, well, maybe we got a shot at this one, right? What I thought about in that moment, too, because week to week I can get swept up in that, and then in this one, following the last couple of games, I almost kind of had that, and like I said, we were talking during the broadcast, where it's just, man, the level of inconsistency. It's not about that you're ineffective on an even tempo throughout the game, where you feel like, oh, we struggled in this area in the first, second, third, and fourth quarter. No, it's in the first quarter, we look like a disaster. In the second quarter, we look like it's all back on board. Let's get back into this thing. And it's just very uneven. And it's uneven in different areas. Special teams has been streaky. But like you said, then they get this great punt block. You score a touchdown to help get yourself right back into this one. Uh, you know, we, this is going to be a fairly negative uh, commentary on this game. And, but one of the inconsistencies in a good way was Daniel Jones has with Good protection around him. He takes his time and drops in, and I don't, no pun intended here, but a dime over the top for 45 yards to Red Ellison. Touchdown prior to the punt block that got him tied up in this one. It, it just, you see that kind of throw, and you wonder where, where is this throughout the first quarter and throughout the rest of the game? For when you think about that throw, it's exactly how you envision the Giants moving the ball down the field. And like you said, when, when he gets time or, or even uh, under a slight bit of pressure, you know, he had 35 rushing yards in the game. Uh, the, the thing that I go back to is for every one of those plays, we had an Evan Ingram huge drop down the sideline. Mm-hmm. We had, you know, it felt like there was at least four or five balls that were dropped from, from from giant receivers and tight ends even even Saquon had a drop towards the end of the game and, and interestingly <laughs> enough Greg Olson on the broadcast who I at first I thought no, no Greg Olson isn't retired is he no just on a bye week and he actually is great from a commentary standpoint but he mentioned that you know all the players use those stick gloves but in rainy weather he said a handful of years ago he switched over to the rubber kind of grip ones that are consistent no matter what the weather conditions are. And he, he noticed that all the Giants were playing without any gloves at all, which he thought was interesting, an interesting choice for them, because they should be prepared for these kind of elements. And then when you couple it with 
the bad drops and some of the miscues, you feel like this is, again, tying together these inconsistent decision makings by the team as a whole. Uh, we were saying the same thing in my household about Greg Olson. He was very intelligent and very knowledgeable. You know, Loved that, uh, I'd say, yeah. And, you know, T- Tony Romo, even though it may be blasphemy, I think is you can tell some of these former players just have an, an eye for the field and an eye, eye on things that uh, maybe we wouldn't be considering just as your average fan at home. So I, I thought he was great and he was spot on with that assessment. You know, when we think about this at a, at a higher level, the, the Giants' defense looked terrible in the first quarter. Uh, you know, they tried to settle in a little bit, still gave up 27 points. The, the Giants' offensive line, eight sacks, Daniel Jones, two fumbles and an interception. Mm-hmm. I mean, all, when, when you add all that up, it, it, it all around was just a horrible performance from offense to defense, um, you know, special teams – gets the, the block punt for a touchdown, but then Roses goes down and misses a field goal, hits it off the upright. It's, it felt like every time we were trying to take a step forward, we take two back. Like you say, a special teams block punt, well, that's a good thing, but then the missed field goal is a negative for special teams. The defense, you know, and this is a hard thing too because they start to quote-unquote contain or shut down the Cardinals, but on the missed field goal drive, this is a note of positivity that I do have to acknowledge. A friend, a friend of mine was very high on Golden Tate, and what I, what I will admit is, Throughout that drive, led to the missed field goal, and throughout the game, Tate consistently was making solid catches. He went over the middle a couple of times, got upended a couple of times on those catches. He, he really showed you what a veteran wide receiver is supposed to look like, and there's a certain level of consistency that you get from his game that I don't think you realize is that important until you see it on the field for, for your team. I just wanted to make sure we highlight that because it, it, is, it is certainly a, a – silver lining for our receiving core and i keep thinking about you know when we have our full um arsenal at daniel jones's disposal that this offense is going to be able to move the ball down the field you know when we think about sterling Shepard coming back uh, it takes a little bit of pressure off golden tate it moves kind of those wide receiver threes uh you know like darius slayton uh you know uh, Latimer or Benny Fowler, it kind of moves mm-hmm. them down the, the, the depth chart in the pecking order. And you look at, you know, having a healthy Saquon back there, Evan Ingram is explosive at the tight end spot. It, it looks like a good offense. And, and I, I, I was surprised um, at how athletic and hardworking Tate looked during the game. He was making some really impressive catches and, and keeping us alive. And I think his energy, you, you could, you could really feel it. And that's kind of why we were getting excited in the second quarter as well. Just, just knowing that the Giants were starting to mount a comeback and, and having someone on the outside like that was uh, was going to be a key to it. For, for sure. And as we cap off just kind of the game, the game notes that we wanted to run through, again, to your point about the defense on the third Edmonds touchdown, that's the third Edmonds touchdown. All he has to do <laughs> is be patient. Carter gets blown up out of the play on this one. And it, it, it's, this isn't an indictment on Carter, but it was just kind of the theme of this game where, when, when the Cardinals needed to get onto their blocks and move people out of the way, they did it with relative ease. And every player in the secondary really just kind of got caught over the middle of the field. Again, an untouched rushing touchdown there. And as we're ending the third quarter on a third and 11, this is another small note because it basically caps off four rushing plays in this game, three for touchdowns and then one just for a, thir- for a first down. It was end of the third quarter, a third and 11 run right up the gut where the line was just being pushed clean out of the way. First down, they moved it, and as you head into the fourth quarter, 
again, even though it was close, this one was still felt very much out of reach for the Giants. And, you know, in spite of the up-tempo drive that finished with a patient run from Saquon Barkley behind a good offensive line surge there to get that touchdown, but again, it, it really fell apart from that standpoint. And this is maybe you tell me if you have any other thoughts, but I feel like this is kind of where we start to get into some of our post-game overall discussion about what we, what we were seeing here. Uh, the only other takeaway I had other than feeling like the score, it, it could have been even more lopsided than 27-21, even with the confounding stats of, of Kyler Murray and, and David Johnson. And the, the one footnote I was just going to say is, if I had a nickel yesterday for every single person that sent me a text message or that I saw on Twitter that said, I can't believe it, I benched Chase Edmonds. I would be a very wealthy man. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Who would have the foresight to say, yeah, David Johnson is going to be active. He's going to get the first carry of the game. And then Chase Edmonds is going to be the bell cow for the. For, for oh, the, yeah. Um, well, right? you, well you, you know what, too? We, we, we were on Instagram with some of our predictions. And I think, you know, we both we both we both came up a little bit short on that. But I think that you're. You, know, you talked about Jones throwing for over 300 yards in this one. I don't think there's anything unreasonable about that. And, and one of our followers was pretty close to what he thought Jones was going to do. And he had nothing too negative, but came back at us as the game wrapped up because he was damn near spot on. But again, I don't think you could predict the, the weather and the sloppy play and some of the things that led to what the final, the final stat line was. But that is, again, the inconsistency of this team that makes it hard to, to really kind of peg what they're going to do on a week-to-week and who you can look for for positives and where you think some negatives are going to come. You know, as we take a, a step back and go bird's-eye view on this, one of the things I do want to touch on, of course, is the return of Saquon Barkley. Everyone agrees that it looks like he still wasn't quite 100%, and that's okay. Love having him back on the field. Still still think he did a pretty strong job contributing. He had a few – he had a couple runs, uh, a couple big plays that kind of got taken back for, for holding penalties, and mm-hmm. that's kind of what you get from Saquon. Uh, you can get these explosive plays. He could he could try to make things happen behind the line of scrimmage and, and get a two-yard loss or a three-yard loss here, and then he breaks one for 50, right? Mm-hmm. He's, he's, he's a different type of runner than someone like, you know, Zeke Elliott who you can hand the ball off to Zeke Elliott and you know he's going to fall forward and get you four or five yards uh, almost on every carry. I don't, I don't look at Saquon as that type of runner. I think he's got so much more um, uh, of a spectrum on what can happen just because he's such a dynamic playmaker. And he came out after the game, his quote about his quote when talking about that was he said, he's like, well, that's, that is the kind of player I am. Sometimes there's going to be a couple of those negatives, but I, you know, more often than not, I believe I'm going to break those runs and, you know, help, really help the team with, with, with a big chunk play or a long touchdown, whatever it may be. This kind of starts to flex us into an area that I did want to touch on. Quote of the day is Pat Shermer in the post game. It played out exactly as I hoped. And that's referring <laughs> to the third and, 18, third and 18 in the fourth quarter where he runs a draw play for three yards to Barkley and then sets up to go for it on fourth and 15. Now, I am going to – I'm not going to just cherry-pick this statement. I understand that what he's saying there is that overall his thought process was it played out the way I wanted it to in that they got the ball back with an opportunity, however much time left on the clock, and a chance to go win the game. He actually referenced that Arizona – had effectively used that draw play against them. Well, guess what? <laughs> that, that's not the way it works, Pat. You know, you don't get to say, 
well, they did a really good job at it. That's why we tried to use it. Ultimately, third and 18, I, I don't understand. Everybody can objectively look at that game and say, Barkley's not 100%. I, I don't know how you can on third and 18. What is your expectation there? You want Barkley to get you 11, 12 yards so that you can get back to a third and reasonable? And if anything, the, some of the most effective stuff outside of Barkley's you know, good runs in the game was when – he had a quick slant route, you know, a quick step back for, for Jones, find the receiver and hit him. We, we highlighted Tate. I think that that would have been a much more effective approach to third and 18. And then you tell me that you planned on going for it on fourth all along. Just a lot of things there to, 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 to try to digest and get a little nauseous over. Uh, are, you, are you done yet? I know. I, 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 am, I am feeling the exact same way as you. There are not enough words in the English language to voice my displeasure for what is going on in Pat Shermer's mind. I mean, look, that third and 18 is just a microcosm of all of the different things that are going on with Pat Shermer and, and his play calling. I mean, uh -huh. the entire coaching staff for this game needs to go back to the drawing board and rethink everything that they thought. Like you said, Pat Shermer saying it played out exactly how I thought it did. Yes. The soundbite sounds terrible, but even still, it, it did not play out the way that you wanted it to, Pat. I, you played on – I wanted three yards. I wanted three yards on third and 18. That's how I set up my fourth down play for fourth and 15. It's a classic scenario that every team in the NFL hopes for. Right. He's like, I just wanted to get to the fourth and 15 package that we had installed on Wednesday. <laughs> what are you talking about? And, you know, I mean, t taking a step back and looking at the coaching staff as a whole, that first quarter for James, James Petra's defense, I mean, coming from Arizona, there's still a lot of guys on, on that team that he had coached and, you know, Patrick Peterson, I think Chano Jones, and you thought he may be able to, to scheme a little bit or, or be able to figure out where to move the linebackers. But Kyler Murray's athleticism, he really didn't even have to do much. He threw for 100 yards. It, and, and Chase Edmonds kind of bullying and finding holes that were wide open that almost any running back could have run through. And, and you got to realize, too, right, in that scenario, I'll, I'll give you the first touchdown, the first drive. It's a long 13-play drive. They, they just chunk you down the field, and they get that gash touchdown. Okay, but that happened again, and then it happened again. And I can, under, I can appreciate that they were doing something very effective to be able to create those lanes for Edmonds, but, but if the strategy coming in, and you saw it, was Peppers coming down to the box at, at times, that seems like that's something that Arizona saw in the previous weeks from the Giants figured out with how they wanted to adjust it, and then Betcher and this defense never reacted and found a new way to change the, the, the tempo and to change the narrative of this game. It just kind of slowly played itself out. It, it did, and, and, you know, the defense gave up 27 points. The offense, that play calling by, by Shermer, I mean, to, to put the third and 18 aside – his even his challenges are horrific. I mean, the the pass interference challenge. I think he threw the flag, and and everyone kind of said, "What is he challenging, or what is he expecting to win here?" You always wonder about when head coaches are also the the offensive play callers. Sometimes you think, do you want to take that responsibility out of their hands so they can go big picture? But Shermer is also kind of showing that his big big picture management may not be the strongest. You move into who else you can kind of look at at this. When I look at my notes from this game, my overall is that this is a poorly coached team who at times exhibits poor tackling defensively and a lack of 
ability offensively to avoid penalties in key situations. And those so other three, than that, other than that, <laughs> right. But you, I mean, you know, and that's, that's where you say, when you say, well, look at how the off, offensive line was able to block or look at how the defense was able to stop a run to, you know, yes, they can do it at times, but if every single unit on this team makes two, three or four mistakes throughout a game and does them on separate drives, that's how you find yourself in a difficult spot. And the Arizona Cardinals realized where they were being successful against the Giants defense. And they realized that all they had to do was help Kyler Murray avoid making any mistakes that were going to be costly, and they could ride this game out to victory. We've been speaking highly of Daniel Jones. This is not about what his future prospects are, but in this particular game, I can both apply coaching errors that put him in bad spots, like having him on you know 4th and 15 trying to get a first down, which we can actually even touch back on that and say at 4th and 15 after you don't have success, you go ahead and punt the ball away and try to have a long field to play defense on. That aside, Daniel Jones made a lot of errors in this game completely on his own. He, the things that make him look great at times are also some of the biggest concerns that I have for him. You know, with Eli Manning, and I hate to kind of do the, the back and forth between Daniel Jones and Eli Manning, but with I had these thoughts though too. I know. I think. I feel like I know where you're going. Every Giant fan feels the same way. <clears throat> At least the, the ones that I talk to is with Eli Manning back there. The last couple of years, when he drops back to pass, at the first sign of a guy being maybe I don't know within ten feet of him, mm-hmm. he is ready to kind of cover up and go to the ground to make sure to not give up the big play or not take the big hit or not get hurt. And I feel like with Daniel Jones, it's the opposite where he wants to extend every play. He wants to sit in the pocket. He's willing to take a big shot. He's willing to hold the ball for a little bit longer to try to get people open downfield. And that leaves him susceptible to some of the mistakes that he's making. You know, the two different fumbles, the, the, the turnovers, um, you know, the, the interception I can kind of live with a little bit, you know, I can try. That was pretty bad though. It's, it's, in the, it's right in the double coverage. Right. But, but those are the types of things that I expect a, a rookie quarterback to struggle with is, is reading a defense, just making a bad throw, the keeping the ball and, and pumping it and, and just sitting back in the pocket. Yeah. I mean, Chandler Jones had, had four sacks. Um, Hicks looked great. Peterson looked great. Uh, it was concerning to see uh, what was happening there with Daniel Jones. And I think a little bit of the, the magic that happened versus the Buccaneers is, is starting to kind of wear away. And, and we're seeing uh, kind of a little bit more where we're going to expect Daniel Jones to be for the rest of the year. And again, it's a combination of all things together that, that impacts a player like this. It's a bad look from, from Daniel Jones that he doesn't have any awareness of, of Peterson coming off with that edge blitz on the 4th and 15 pass where he gets a sack fumble. But it, and then it's also a bad look on Pat Shermer to after having that run play call, then telling your quarterback to drop back on a 4th and 15 in a, in a rainy, wet conditions after not having had success and have the expectation that he's going to you know, pick up that first down for you. But one of the other things from a coaching perspective do you also feel like, you know, Shermer said after the game, uh, I wanted to keep Barkley involved on that third and 18 draw play. But everybody could tell that he wasn't 100%. Were you at all surprised that Wayne Gallman, who was back healthy and who showed that he can carry the ball successfully for them when, when, when Barkley was out, that he wasn't feathered in more? Because I can make a case that if you stuck to the running game as a whole, 
you would have been better off in this one, especially in the conditions. I wish I could, but there's just such a disparity between an 80% Saquon Barkley and 100% Wayne Gallman in my mind. So, <laughs> well, no, no, no. I, and I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not okay. I'm not saying Barkley less. What I'm saying is less Daniel Jones, and then just add in more Wayne Gallman. You know what I mean? Like take make take it at some point. Again, this is I think this is about the adjustments, right? At some point, as the head coach, you have to acknowledge that whether on some plays it's Daniel Jones holding on to the ball way too long and he had a, a couple of those try to spin out of the pocket and, and one was a fumble, number of sacks, but either it's Daniel Jones or it's the offensive line that can't protect him. At some point in after the first half or midway through the third quarter, you had to see that the, 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 the passing game was going to struggle. And I understand being one-dimensional is difficult, but – the in-game adjustments just don't ever seem to happen for this team. It's as if Pat Shermer sets out a play, a, a, you know, game plan, and it doesn't matter what goes on. He's going to ride his game plan out, and then when you lose by six points, it's like saying, well, you know, we almost had him there. We had opportunities, but we didn't quite get there. And I, I just make the argument of, yeah, you had opportunities, and you didn't show any ability to adjust. <clears throat> it's, it's really tough too in this game just thinking about you know the Giants get down 17 nothing it they it felt like they were chasing the entire game and so in that regard you know it I think if we played another two or three quarters Chase Edmonds still might be running he, he might have six <laughs> yeah. seven touchdowns at this point yeah. so I think that kind of was probably in the back of Pat Shermer's mind thinking you know we, we we're giving up a ton of points we're getting carved like a thanksgiving turkey uh on the defensive end we need to try to keep up and score points and i think he, he kind of has these different thoughts where he says well we need to catch up him because this is going to be a shootout but i also need to get Saquon the ball and uh -huh. i also need to and all of a sudden he kind of keeps going wishy-washy and it leads to draw plays to say this is how we, we drew it up and uh you know and maybe maybe you're right that Pat Shermer is actually trying to make adjustments, but it's just that he's pivoting so much so frequently that you end up with what feels like a disjointed game plan. Yes, we're behind, we're behind by 17. I have to throw the ball. Then it's, wait, we realize Saquon only has 10 carries. I need to get him three carries on this drive. It's like he, the pendulum just keeps swinging back and forth as opposed to having a balanced game plan. So I, I, the, the one thing I want to do, and I think we could, we could beat this one, uh, so we're blue in the face, but, but my biggest takeaway is I now feel like I have a handle on where this Giants team is and where they're going for the rest of the year. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know if, if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I think, I think we're now, I, I at least, I don't, and, and tell me your thoughts. I, I kind of feel like I know what to expect from them, you know, even into next week. Yeah. Inconsistency that you, you can expect this team to show you a great drive and then show you two quarters of total ineptitude. You can expect this defense to get gashed for a 13-play touchdown drive to open a game. You can then see them have you know, Marcus Golden get sacks and Carter get to the quarterback. I, I think that's just the narrative on this team, and that is, that, that's what they're going to be because until Daniel Jones cleans up the mistakes that he can control, until Pat Shermer – can show an ability to have have in place and execute a better game plan until Betcher can show that he can make in-game adjustments. You know, all these all these things in mind, until the special teams units can show that they can just be consistent and not miss field goals when your unit is also blocking punts. That's what I think this team is right now. And you and I talked about it during the game. I 
it, it, uh, man, to, to quote a, a great Pink Floyd song, I just become comfortably numb in, in, in terms of my expectations for the rest of this season. And one of the things that I think we'll touch on as we approach the trade deadline potentially is will you see any veteran players possibly end up on the trade block because we're, you know, we're one loss away against the Detroit Lions of, from an organization standpoint, you know, officially out of playoff contention. And then you can make a move, you know, with maybe a Janoris Jenkins, if Sam Beal is ready to come back, you know, those kind of, those kind of players. So that, that's probably something big that we'll be looking at down the road. But I'm in the same boat with you in terms of where I think this team is and, and where the ceiling is for them over the course of the season. And Adam, when, when you say inconsistency, you're right on the money, but I, I know the areas we're going to struggle. And I know, I think I know now where Daniel Jones kind of sits in, in his progression and, and what to expect from him moving forward. The, the one thing I'd, I'd like to highlight is look at the, the teams the Giants have beaten and look at the teams the Giants have lost to. You know, the Cowboys uh, with a win against the Eagles now lead the NFC East. The Bills are 5-1. and one. The Patriots are undefeated. The Cardinals are back to 500. You know, the Vikings are 5-2 and two after they just dismantled the, the Lions on the road. The Giants have not lost to a team with a losing record now. And they haven't beat a team with a winning record. And I, can't, and, and I think that, that, to me, is exactly the expectation that I have for them is uh-huh. – you know, beat up on some of the lowly teams uh, that, that are a little bit worse than you. And anyone that's a playoff contender is probably going to come out victorious. Agree with you on that as well. I, I think as you look down the rest of the season, the games where Daniel Jones plays clean is the games that the Giants can get a win out of. And, you know, the ones where he doesn't, that doesn't really matter what's happening defensively. That's probably going to be what tethers, you know, the Giants' final season record. So we're going to go ahead and leave that here and what we'll, what we'll be calling your Week 7 wrap-up. And that's how we'll be formatting ourselves going forward over the remainder of the season, as we said at the top of the show. And as we tie a bow on this podcast, we'll be coming back to you at the end of the week, looking ahead to the Detroit Lions game and, and seeing where we potentially think we're going to see some positives from the Giants and more than likely where we think they're going to struggle as well. Now, as always, you can follow us on social media at One Giant Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We do have a couple of uh, tidbits of exciting information just off on the horizon. We are also trying to connect with a few other podcasts to get some game perspectives as we move through the year. So that should be something fun to look forward to as well. Beyond that, you know... this is where we are, Andy. Anything, any, anything you want to tell the folks? I feel, I feel a little bit flustered as we close this one out because, again, I'm a, I'm a man lying on the floor, gazing at the ceiling, wondering if it's all over. <laughs> well, the, the, the thing that I'll kind of finish this with is I like that uh, this week is the week that we're kind of separating uh, the recap from kind of looking forward because I think taking this one off to the side and maybe getting a day or two to get – the stench of, of the performance uh, out of there and, and think a little bit more objectively is, is going to be important. Man, I completely agree with you again, Andy. A little breath of fresh air before we dive into the next matchup. So, as always, this has been One Giant Podcast. One Giant Podcast.